Welcome to Across the Margin Podcast, where we take you beyond the margin, behind the scenes of the online magazine and deeper into the stories we tell there. I am your host, Michael Shields, and got an excellent episode uh, for you today. One that came about after a visit. Uh, I went to the Justice Film Festival. It's a small film festival that takes place in New York every year. They just had their seventh annual uh, festival this November, um, and the Justice Film Festival inspires justice seekers by presenting films of unexpected courage and redemption that are diverse in their issues and geography. Um, The uh, year's events include feature films, documentaries, and shorts from both well-known and emergent filmmakers that shine a light on social justice. So while I was there, I came upon a film that uh, affected me deeply. It's it's called Skid Row Marathon. And to tell you a little bit about it, Skid Row Marathon tells the tale of a criminal court judge who starts a running club on L.A.'s notorious Skid Row and begins training a motley group of addicts and criminals to run marathons. And soon, lives begin to change. The deeply affecting documentary follows four runners as they rise from the mean streets of L.A. to run marathons around the world, fighting the pull of homelessness and addiction at every turn. Their story is one of hope, friendship, and dignity. So as I said, this uh, it, it affected me in a way I didn't see coming. Um, and so afterwards, I reached out to the filmmakers, uh, director Mark Hayes and producer Gabrielle Hayes, uh, and asked them if they wanted to talk about it. And luckily they did. And so this episode features an interview uh, with them. They're really, they're wonderful people. And they brought an amazing story to life. And so we talk a, a bunch about the documentary, how it came to be, um, how they had to, uh, the lengths they went to earn the trust of um, all the subjects in it. Um, these people were pretty down on their luck. And you can imagine why they wouldn't want to be filmed in, in you know, their hardest uh, periods of their life. Um, we also really get into the judge at the heart of the film, this, this benevolent figure, uh, Judge Craig Mitchell, um, it, and he just, he's so inspiring and I can't wait for you to learn more about, about him. Uh, and then we just talk about the encouraging life lessons that this film, uh, you walk away after seeing this documentary with it's, um, there's, there's just so many takeaways and we get into all of those. The film's available now and we'll have links in the show notes. Um, I really recommend checking it out and I recommend checking out this interview. But before we get going, just a reminder that Across the Margin of the Podcast is part of the Osiris Podcast Network. Osiris is a global community connecting passionate fans with podcasts and experiences about artists and topics they love. Go to OsirisPod.com, check out all the podcasts they have, all the live events they can link you to. I'm privy to a, a lot of the news about what's, what's coming in the year 2020, and there's a whole lot you're going to want to know about. So when there, uh, sign up for their newsletter. And um, they'll yeah, hit you with uh, periodic 
updates with all the things happening. So that's OsirisPod.com. And now, here is my interview with Mark and Gabrielle Hayes. Uh, Mark, Gabrielle, thank you for making the time, and congratulations on the film. Thank you, Michael. Thanks. Yep. Would love, um, just to get started here, I want to get a kind of a feel for how this came to be. Um, I'm, I'm really curious how you came upon Judge Craig Mitchell and kind of what the uh, impetus behind making Skid Row Marathon was. We read an article in the LA Times in 2013, just around the LA Marathon. And um, I'm a runner myself, and um, I pretty much run every day. Okay. So um, we were really intrigued by this article that um, a judge started a running club on Skid Row for homeless people and drug addicts and ex-cons. And so uh, we talked about it and said, let's call the Mm -hmm. judge and see if he might be interested in doing a documentary about it. And the next day we met him for coffee and he said, yes, I'm interested, but uh, I don't know about these people on Skid Row. I mean, they're at their lowest points in their lives and they may not be interested in having a camera in their face. But uh, he said, maybe you run with them for a little bit and see how it goes and see if they might warm up to you. And that's what we did. We ran with them for about four to six weeks and then slowly but surely took the cameras and shot some running events and um, then some interviews. And uh, it took quite a while for them to trust us, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's where I was going to go with the next question, because I'm always um, curious when I talk to documentarians about the, you know, the, the dynamic between um, filmmaker and the subject and, and the level of trust. I mean, they really, not, not so much Judge, um, Judge Mitchell, that, that makes sense to me, but the, um, the runners from the Midnight Mission. Um, it, so was it difficult? Was there pushback on, on that trust or, you know, were, were certain, certain subjects more receptive to the, to the process? Uh, definitely. Uh, one thing that really helped is that Gabby is a real runner. Gabby runs every day, rain or shine, cold, doesn't matter. So when they would see her out there, every, you know, every run, and we would run maybe six, six miles on Mondays, Thursdays. On the weekends, they run like 12 miles. I mean, this is like, I don't know if you're a runner. I mean, everybody could probably run a couple of miles. But after you get up there like seven, eight, this is like, I mean, your knees start hurting. It's not for me. And I, I think, and, and Gabby mentioned, they're naturally skeptical. Here they are down on their luck at the low point of their lives. Do they really want to memorialize and capture forever the, the, this low point? Of course not. So... Uh, but seeing Gabby out there all the time and at the front of the pack and, and just, it's, it's a fun club. It's nice to be in a club. We, we got a kick out of it as well, even though we were making the documentary. It was fun going down there, being part of this group and, and seeing it grow. Uh, we'd sometimes go out for breakfast afterwards. And you, you really get to know these people and you really see that over time uh, that they're, they're worth a second look. When we went down there, for example, the guy we follow, Ben, he's the guy he wants to be, he wants to... He's a composer, yeah. Yeah, he's a composer, and he wants to get his music career back on track. He blew it. He was in the house band at the Viper Room, which is a very popular club here in L.A. Sure, I've been, yep. He, and he's in the house band. He shows up one night, 
I mean, completely out of it. Who knows what he was doing? They dump him off down on Skid Row, and, and then he begins his new life. And we follow his his journey, crawling crawling back to the the life that he used to have. So he he was very skeptical of me, especially at the oh. beginning. Uh, and I think he was also skeptical of the judge. Like you're always thinking, what's and, and Ben used to say in one of the interviews, I think he says, like, what's what's this? What's the catch? What's the catch with this judge? Why is he helping us? And as it turns out, he, he, he's just a, you know, he, he's a decent guy. There is no other side. There's, there is no catch that he's just out there to, to, uh, to, to run and, and, uh, and to provide friendship and, and, a, and a vehicle for these guys to get together and, and do some running. Yeah, that, I, it's funny. You, you kind of just led right into what I wanted to ask next because I did find um, Judge Mitchell so captivating and the entire time I was, um, you know, contemplating his motives a, bu- a bunch. And it seemed to me, it, the, I mean, everything he was doing was really earnest and benevolent. And um, he was in, in entirely inspiring. But I mean, I was wondering, you know, the, and, and the documentary touches on it um, a, a bit, um, you know, dramatically with his mother and everything. But I, w- I would like if you could speak on how he became so inspiring and passionate to this mission and just how it and and his authentic authenticity too because i i believe he was i mean he's the real deal right yeah the judge is the real deal i have to say and i I think his mother as you can see in the film uh had a big influence on him when he was a child that she would take you know the kids to watts where after the riots in 1965 um to show them what the other side of society looks like and um and I think also he has worked um, as a high school teacher for 17 years in South Central L.A. And um, his life has been always on a mission to help people. I mean, it's um, he's just that type of person, I would say. Um, and he, what he's doing with the running club is just a little part of his life. I mean, there's so many other stories behind it. There's so many other stories behind this man that we couldn't even cover. And when we we open the documentary, it's a scene of the judge in his courtroom, and he's sentencing this guy uh, who uh, is before him to, I think, 70 years in prison. The guy's probably 30, so that's basically a life sentence. And and this weighs heavy. This is not easy to do day in and day out. We spent a lot of time in the courtroom. He's doing this all the time. It's like business as usual. And... It weighs on him. You can see it. And I think that in order for him, and he, he would never admit to this. Like, we would ask him, like, Judge, are you a better judge because you're running with the running club? He would say, will you stop asking me that question? No, I, I haven't I haven't changed. Leave me alone. Will you? I just, I like to run, okay? Leave it at that. But from a distance, we really were able to determine that here's a guy, he's doing this, you know, in his day job, sending people off to prison. And in his spare time, he must be looking for some kind of balance. And the running club provides him that balance. It, it does. And one thing we touch on also, I mean, his, his wife mentions it very briefly, but Craig Mitchell, Judge Craig Mitchell, studied to be a priest at one time. He was, he was actually in formation in the, in the Marianist order, and he, he was about to pull the trigger, and I think he, he got cold feet at the last minute, he got married, he raises a family, and, and now, you know, he's a judge. Okay. But I think this, it's, it's, he's not 
overtly religious, you know what I mean? But, you know, when we, we would go to meet him early in the morning, he wouldn't say anything, but he pops into Mass, you know, at the cathedral downtown. When we were in Rome, you know, we were all on the same floor, the runners, the judge, and us. We would hear his door click like at 6.30 in the morning. We would just follow him with the camera. He would never say, oh, tomorrow morning I'm getting up at 7 and I'm going to Mass. But he would, he would sneak out. A few of the guys would follow him, and they'd go uh, to Mass uh, in Rome, which is not hard to do. I mean, there's churches every 50 feet. But there, he, he was out there kind of silently uh, leading the way with these guys. And he wasn't, he's not proselytizing or anything. He's uh-huh. just really one of those guys that leads by example. Yeah. Yeah, he is who he is. I'm glad you brought that up um, just because that opening scene was so powerful. And I did see it as um, what he was doing, um, you know, kind of a reaction to what, you know, his his occupation had him doing. But, yeah, it was beyond that. And I'm glad you mentioned that he, you know, was uh, exploring priesthood because I could almost see him leading leading a flock and, you know, being ahead of a, of a church. He's, he's so inspiring. And I need to ask, though, how... Um, I started worrying because a lot of times people, you know, don't worry about those who are worrying about others. And I walked away uh, from the film amongst other things I was thinking about was it was his health and his spine. That really shook me when, when we got to that point. How How is his health? I mean, I can't imagine his life without, without running. Um, how, how is he? I know. Uh, I think the judge is addicted to running. Yeah, sure. He has run. And it's part of what allows him to help people too it's part of the thing yeah i mean he has run i think now 78 marathons total so unbelievable unbelievable and i think if he couldn't run his life would be a whole different animal i mean i think it would be so different and uh and he i think he won't stop until something happens honestly terrible to say and and you know here in la in in during the summer it gets up there the temperature gets well into the 90s even even higher, one weekend he told us he's running the the I don't know what they call it the L.A. River Run, which goes from L.A. city of Los Angeles all the way to Long Beach and back. So it's probably over 50. fifty miles over fifty miles. This was one of the hottest weekends in L.A. And of course you worry. Of course you worry. People look just open the newspaper and see any marathon. We were in London running the marathon. A guy, you know, had chest pains, a young guy. He, he didn't make it. We were in Dallas at a marathon. A young woman, you know, had some difficulty. She, she, she died. She was, I think she was 26. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. And, of course, we were. His poor wife, Juliet, must, must really be sleepless because, uh, you know, he's not a kid, but he's in great yep. shape. And uh, there's, there's always a risk when you're running long distances like marathons. I mean, the, the, the guy, the first guy that ran the marathon, I forget his name, but, you know, he runs to deliver the news of the battle, and what happens at the yeah. end? Yeah. He drops yeah, he down. Yeah. Tells you all, <laughs> yeah. It tells you all you need to know. Yeah, the stresses on the body is, is really remarkable, and especially with the issue he's dealing with. It's crazy. So um, I was asking about... Uh, you know, his status now. What about, is, can you give us any insight? Do you know um, how things have developed for, say, you know, Rebecca, David, Ben, Raphael? Uh, you know, it, it's, how's everyone doing? Yes, I can tell you, um, I can tell you about all the Manus and their stories now. 
um, Ben, for example, is doing really well. He is now um, a, working with the Street Symphony, a nonprofit organization here in Los Angeles on Skid Row, and they do pop-up concerts, like admissions and stuff. And so he's uh, a composer in residence there. Um, he also composes for some film and TV shows. And um, what was really exciting for us was that our composer worked with Ben doing the score for our film. So Ben stayed with us for over six weeks, and they worked together. And that was really an important part of our project. And Kim Plannert composed the music. But as Gabby mentioned, he, he insisted that Ben help him. He knew about Ben's oh, wow. musical background. He made it a, a, a precondition that if he was going to work on the score with us... Ben that, was involved. Right. And that was really super generous of him. Ben was so excited. And Ben is a hard worker. Ben is a hard worker. Yeah. Those, those yeah. weeks, Ben was getting up at 6 o'clock, going out to Kim's studio, working. Then they would also run afterwards at the beach. He would come back exhausted. It was a thrill for Ben. And... He got to work also with uh, uh, Tim Williams. He also got to work with Tim oh, wow. Williams, who was a very noted uh, conductor for films, yeah. does huge projects. And so now he's also getting work from Tim, uh, doing notation and, uh, you know, smaller tasks for big films. He just worked on, um, what was the, uh, he just worked on Hobbes. Sorry, I forgot the name of Hobbs and Shaw. Ben just worked. Oh on, yes, yeah, yeah. That's a big film. Yeah, Ben just worked on the film Hobbs and Shaw for wow. Tim. So it's nice. And and look, I think w one of the things that we saw also was that this is this is part of the story. It's is the judge uh, running with these these people. Is this going to cure the homeless problem? Of course not. Of course not. Yeah. But I think that we've seen over the five years that we've been working on the project, the one thing that definitely helps and is really a big part of a long-term solution is that mm -hmm. everybody has to do something. Everybody has to do yeah. just a little bit. So Tim, yeah. this guy, he's a big deal conductor, works for Warner Brothers, all these huge films. He's helping Ben, you know? Uh, yeah. Raphael is working at Department of Water and Power. Great. Yeah, as we saw, yep. He's still there, great. And they know, they know, they know Raphael's past. They're not stupid. They know, they know he has a criminal record, but they have to take a chance. Rebecca is working at a great hospital in Seattle as a, as a technician in the maternity ward. They're taking a chance. They're taking a risk, but it's worth the risk many times. Not all the times. I'm sure there's going to be disappointments along the way, but the people in our film, it just happens that they got a second chance and people, people are giving them work. And this makes all the difference. Yeah. yeah I mean, there was, we did uh, experience some, some pitfalls for Modi. And um, I'm, you know, just assuming, you know, the statistics and, and just in this type of situation, I guess it wouldn't be, um, it's, it's not surprising that someone was struggling, that one of your subjects that you were filming was struggling. I guess it wouldn't be an honest film if, if it wasn't showing both sides of the coin in that way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and especially Modi is doing very well now. I mean, he moved. Oh, that's back, good news. He moved back to Senegal to be with Great. his family, and uh, and he was he was uh, he was recently married, <laughs> and he's getting ready for a. Uh, a he had like a, a, a like a religious wedding already, 
And then the tradition is that when you're ready, then you have like a big blowout party, you know, with family, friends. That's, that's I mean, coming up very soon. Uh, but he, but he, yeah, he was up and down. And Modi is one of the nicest guys. He's a smart guy. He studied accounting in New York City. Uh, he overstayed his visa. Uh, and, and, but he was, he was like, he had, a, he had a, a substance abuse issue. And when we would see him when he was, you know, when he was clean, he's the greatest guy. He, he, he was so much fun to run with. But then we'd, he'd go missing and we'd, we'd see him later. And it was like you, you didn't even recognize him, you know. And, and look, addiction and all this stuff, it affects every, pretty much every family in America. Everybody knows somebody in their family or their dear friends and, you know, who, who, who fall into addiction of some sort. And uh, it's, 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 it's part, of, it's part of, the, of life. And, but Modi is doing well, which is good. David just had an art show. He's the artist. He just, we yeah. just went to an art show recently. He sold some paintings. He gets some commissions from around the world. Literally, he got a commission from London where someone saw the film. Uh, he's doing portraits uh, to, you know, uh, to order. He's doing uh, uh, shows downtown L.A. So he's doing pretty good as well. I mean, it's, it's tough to be an artist anywhere, you know. Yeah, so exactly. it's hard. Tough to pay the bills with that. That's that's. This is all wonderful here. Sounds like everyone's kind of kind of um, you know catapulted from this experience and 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 grew a lot, which is amazing. Just to talk about the process a little bit, um, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm uh, can you talk a little bit about the you know the process of bringing the film to light? Any interesting challenges or surprises or I mean, because I mean, you spend a lot of time um, and you, there's a lot of travel involved. You're you know these. These races are lengthy. Anything uh, interesting to speak on there? Well, the thing that made our project maybe a little more difficult than some others is that there was no, like, what they call, like, a ticking clock. It wasn't like, okay, there's going to be a race on this date. Everybody has to be ready, and here we go. You know, with us, we really had to wait for the the characters to show up. I think we had filmed for almost two years before we had any female representation in the running group. And then just Rebecca happened to join the running club, and we said, oh, okay, that's great, because it is nice to have a woman, and, and just to see, it's different. It's different, especially if you're, you're in, a, in a difficult living situation. She had some addiction issues as well. She had a young son. So you, you, just, you, just, you just hope you get a little lucky with some of the story elements. Uh, and then, you know, some people we would show... The other problem we had was <clears throat> we would show some of the early scenes to some of the runners. For example, the, the opening scene in the courtroom. And many of the runners who, I mean, love Judge Mitchell, they would, they would watch that footage and say, I love the judge, but I don't like the judge. We'd say, why don't you like the judge? Well, he's sending people of color off to the slammer. I don't like that. And we understood. So this was the hardest thing where we had to find uh, a way to, 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 to show this other side of the judge. And I think when Juliet appears, this is the judge's wife, and gives a little bit of the backstory and says, this guy doesn't spend money on anything. And it's really true. I mean, he lives like, he, he's very ascetic in his lifestyle. Uh-huh. He rides his bicycle to work every day about... And it's not, he doesn't live close to work. He's living in Pasadena. He drives to downtown L.A. every day on a bike. He's been hit on that bicycle. 
you know, he, he, he lives a very ascetic lifestyle. But when we go to these trips, when we went to Rome or to, they went, you know, to uh, Israel, this was like $70,000, $80,000 deal, you know, that he, he's putting on his American Express card. And he just hopes that, you know, before his wife sees the bill that we can get most of the money together to pay for it. So... I mean, that's like a very big challenge. I mean, um, especially now since the film has been out, we were able to raise money for his nonprofit, and um, which was really great. So now he can use that money to, you know, buy running shoes or gear and also get the trips, you know, so that's really good. But the other challenge also is uh, was that we followed people and uh, after like six months they would disappear and we had, for example, oh. a stockbroker who was really rich, I mean, millions of money. And, um, yeah, all of a sudden we, he relapsed and we found him and then he relapsed again and then he was gone. So uh, these and things happen. Yeah, we never saw him again. We have like a whole oh <laughs> mini documentary about this guy and all, he didn't all. appear. Yeah. And then we were lucky also like with – it was just – fortunate that that the judge decided to go to Rome for the marathon. This is where he, he thought that David would be so inspired yeah, as, as, as an, an artist, artist yeah. to go to Rome. And man, what a, I mean, every people that have been to Rome know what a beautiful and inspiring city it was. You know, it is. And, uh, and that was really lucky. And that, that became then kind of the, the quote unquote, like the act three of the film where uh, we're going to see who, who who makes it past the finish line and who doesn't? Yeah, yeah. One of um, one of the things I, I was thinking about a whole lot afterwards was something uh, kind of something the judge really believed in, and um, I wasn't sure if I did. Um, it's the idea of does one horrendous act divine a person? Because in it, it basically discussing Raphael and his past and a murder and how he became a whole different person. There's, there's been times where when I think about that, I think that there are things someone could do that is um, just unforgivable and taking someone's life. It should be right there. But this one really had me thinking in that way. And, uh, and, and, and the judge had me thinking that, that, that was fascinating. Yes. So hold on, excuse me. I'm not a runner. I mean, I, I, I would go running, kicking, and screaming. I did all the runs, the Monday runs, six miles, Thursday, six miles. We're running down on Skid Row. I don't know where I'm going. It's dark out. And every time I would say, okay, where did everybody go? I'm like a quarter of a mile behind everybody. And then all of a sudden, from around the corner would come Raphael. And, I'm saying, and he said, hey, man, go this way. I'll show you a shortcut. Okay. And look, look, there's going to be some gangbangers at the corner. Keep your mouth shut. <clears throat> and I would say, I'd say, okay. Sure enough, we'd go to the corner. There'd be all these gangbangers. And they'd say, who's that guy? Meaning me. And he would tell me, he said, look, they either think you're a cop or a priest. You're a, you're a priest. Let me do the talking. So he said, yeah, this is, this, is, this is Father Mark. Hey, Father, say a prayer for me. And I'd do the sign of the cross. Yes, of course, of course, I'll say a prayer for you. One morning, I asked Raphael, I said, like, are you like an off-duty court officer or a cop or something? Are you a court officer or, or you know, off-duty? And the judge is, like, paying you 10 bucks to run with us to keep, keep track of everybody so they don't get lost. He says, no, man, I'm on parole. I said, oh, okay. Like, what, drug, you know, possession, robbery? Oh, you didn't know at this point. Oh, wow. No, I did not know. I really thought 
he 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 was a court officer or or somebody who was just who was just in the running club. Last thing you were thinking of is a murderer. Yeah. I, I so I said well, you know what. I said, you know, robbery or drug drug possession or something like that. Said, no, 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 man. Siri, I was in. I'm on parole for murder one. I said, I said, I said, oh, okay. It took me six months to get my head around that. That yeah. every time I saw Raphael after that, I was just saying, okay, this is this is someone who took someone's life, the ultimate crime. The first interview we did was when the judge says that. He says, one horrendous act does not define a person in his or her entirety. And when I'm hearing that, I'm, I wasn't like rolling my eyes, but I'm thinking to myself, I, I, I'm, I don't know if I buy that right now. <laughs> I, I, if someone murdered Gabby, my wife, or yep. my wife. How could you forgive? Yeah, or my friend or, or someone. Would you be inclined to forgive and forget? Absolutely not. You know, and if someone was rotting in jail for the rest of their lives, would you lose any sleep? I don't know. I'd have to think about it. Yeah, but also when you see Raphael, it made me ponder that in a way I hadn't before. Yeah. So which what was, happened? Which is wild. During the screening, and then then you know we're following Raphael, and it's all true. I mean, we had trouble keeping up with him. He's going to a school. He's 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 counseling the kids, and a lot of these kids are, even though they're young. I mean, they're tempted by the gangs and all, all this stuff and drugs and all these things that, that, that kids face these days. And he's really there and the, the parents respect him and everything and he's, he's doing this. Then it, we, we'd go to like a gift-giving thing. He'd be at that place. He was then another weekend. We had to get up at like 6 in the morning. He's driving people to visit their loved ones in prison. We couldn't keep up with Raphael. Then, you know, so we, we're actually seeing him doing all these, these, these great deeds then he gets arrested. There was alcohol in a park, and he's there with some buddies. I think it was said that they were also gang members. He gets arrested. He can lose. He can go back to prison for the rest of his life. He, he, he violated his parole, and they can easily send him back. So now he, get, he gets arrested, and then we hear about it. I'm going, oh, my gosh, here we go. And I couldn't sleep. I, could, I was thinking, oh, God, he, he, his poor mother, his, his family, his sisters, he, he has a nice family. And I'm thinking, why, why can I not sleep? Why do I care? And I thought to myself, it's because I've forgiven Raphael. Uh, yeah. this, took, this was now, this was like, so <laughs> from the time I heard that he had murdered somebody, we're mm-hmm. talking now like maybe three years later. I had really... When when I thought about it and said why do I why do I really care if he goes back to prison, it's because I mm-hmm. I had forgiven him, yeah. and I really yeah. came to believe that yes he he murdered somebody. What the judge said, yeah, it's done, it's done. It yep. was a stupid yep. thing to do. He was seventeen, I think. This this gangbanger stuff is is I don't get it, but it's done. The mother of the person, the victim had sent him a letter when he was in prison. She forgave mm-hmm. him. Oh, wow. And when I started connecting all these dots and seeing the life that Raphael was trying to lead, yeah. I be- my opinion changed. And I said, okay, maybe maybe actually, not only do I believe that society's better off, but maybe I'm better off. Certainly Raphael is better off. Yeah. 
that he's not in prison. But it's it's yeah. It's it's a big leap, and I don't. And you know, sometimes we go to the film festivals, and when we show the film, this comes up, and I understand some people. Yep. Do not hard. embrace that. I get it. Mm-hmm. But and and if, if 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 he had killed one of my loved ones or a family member, or, or, or you know, I don't know if I'd be might be different. Yeah, it might be different. Yeah, yeah. No, and it's it's it speaks to you know who he became. He did become a whole different person, which is wild. So at the screening, um, when I did get a chance to see this film, uh, Mark, you had a funny story about Rebecca's marathon in Rome. Was 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 uh was it true she stopped for a pizza? So yeah. <laughs> that was that's crazy. And sometimes, you know, you were asking earlier mm-hmm. about the process of making the, the documentary. Yeah, documentaries like this do not make money. You, th- this is a losing proposition, especially in our case. We're, we're going to Rome, let's say, with with twenty five, mm-hmm. thirty people that don't have fifty cents. You know, mm-hmm. hey, look at this. There's a tour of the Colosseum. Let's <laughs> can we go, Gabby? Hey, Judge, can yeah. we do this? <laughs> We get tickets. A true pa- passion project. Yep. We get yeah. We get tickets. It's thirteen hundred mm-hmm. euros for a, a tour yep. of the doc. So we had totally. expenses that were not. I don't think were normal for regular documentaries. So we're, so we're over there, and but when we really were thinking sometimes, can we finish this thing? Is is there anything there? Are these stories really worth telling? We we really thought of giving up. I mean, we we just you just run out of money and run out of time, yeah. and then we would think to ourselves. I would remember. When we were in Rome, the day of the marathon, it, first we, 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 had, we went to the general audience to see the Pope. It was one mm-hmm. of the most beautiful days. It was March 17th, I believe. It, I got such a sunburn. It was such a beautiful day. <laughs> and it was, it was unbelievable. We, we all got special security clearances. We're like right there, like two feet away from the Pope as he walked around. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course, so the cool. day of the marathon, thunder, lightning, Rain, everything. We're going, oh, my God, here we go. So during the marathon, I had this e-bike, and I had a camera, and I'm, like, you know, driving around looking for everybody. Gabby's calling me. Gabby's running the marathon in the rain, calling me, telling me where everybody is, as if I'm going to be able to find it on a map. When it's raining out, I have a camera on my shoulder. The brakes don't work on the bike because it's wet, and, you know, I'm crashing. The camera fell. I hear somebody calling my name, Mark, Mark. I look over. It's, it's Rebecca. And now we're, we're probably like an hour into the race. This is like we're at like mile three or four. And she is not looking good. She's had better days. She's pale. She, she, uh, she's walking. She's wet. She goes, can you, Mark, loan me 20 euros. I'll pay you back. I said, I, I said is everything okay? No, not, not, everything's not okay. I need a pizza and a pack of cigarettes. I said, <laughs> okay. So she gets a pack of whatever it was, Camel Lights or something, and Mm -hmm. orders a little pizza, has a couple of slices of the pizza, a couple of smokes, boom, off she goes. And I'm thinking, this is not good. She's never going to finish. Then, you know, sure enough, she finishes. She finished. So it's it's just, and it's just interesting. That's like one of the things also, like that I think long distance runners, or especially marathoners, get. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's not going to be easy. It's not a straight road. And I think in life, that was the other thing that these runners, that the judges running club, they start to apply these things, these principles that into they get life. from running. Yeah. And, and it, it really creeps over into their lives. And, and success mm-hmm. and finishing, it's not always mm-hmm. a straight line. 
You're gonna, yep. you're gonna, there's gonna be peaks and valleys. You may have to go off course and and have a cigarette or a pizza when you shouldn't be, but the main thing is that you, you finish the race. And yeah. we, we were so inspired. Really, no, no exaggeration. When we were editing and thinking, oh my God, this is a lost cause. That it really yeah. that thought of Rebecca going against all odds, you know, mm-hmm. and finishing was very inspiring and, and, and helped us to finish. Yeah, the parallels of you guys making this film and the challenges and the challenges of a marathon are plenty. And, and then just how you can relate to life is really, really intense, too. So just to kind of close down here, the, um, the takeaways I have personally from, from this movie are, are many. And um, it's, it, it really, it truly inspired me. And, but I am curious as, um, you know, the filmmakers and the people who brought this to life, what, were the, what would be your hopes for um, viewers who, who take in uh, Skid Row Marathon. What do you think the takeaway that you would like them to um, have as they walk away after seeing this inspiring film? There are a couple of takeaways after you see the film. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, one especially also that inspired me was give people a second chance. You may not know what's yeah. behind each person and what potential mm-hmm. they have. You just can't write them off because they maybe made a mistake in their life. And if you really go to their core, who they are, they are just really a, a, a wonderful person, like, for example, Ben. I mean, behind his facade of, you know, toughness tattoos and, and yeah. tattoos, yeah. Um, yeah. you see a gentleman that is, you know, capable of loving. And, um, and also the other thing is, I mean, you, uh, you, you can... You can do something in your own community. I mean, after we have screened this film at festivals and screenings around the country, other cities have started running clubs. They have started running clubs at their own homeless shelters, at their own communities. And people just say, look, you know, reach out to somebody. It doesn't cost a lot of money or any money. You just, Mm -hmm. you know, what the judge says at the end, you know, just make a phone call on behalf of somebody. That's just enough. So just for people to see, open your eyes, you know, outside your own and look around you and you might be able to help. Yeah, we can all make a difference. That's definitely something that, that, that you can walk away with it for. Yeah, that's inspiring. Um, yeah, do you have something to add there? I was going to say yes. You know, we're, yeah. we're in L.A. We were just in New York. These, these are probably the two, New York City, Los Angeles, probably the two cities in the United States that have the highest concentration of people experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. And every day in the newspaper in L.A., there's stories, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. The mayor's going to do this. We're going to get 50 new houses online. Today, they said 200 houses. So it's a drop in the bucket. And I mm-hmm. think that one of the big takeaways is, okay, homelessness is a huge epidemic that affects pretty much every city of size in the United States. And that I think having gone down to Skid Row now, going on six years, you see that, Ooh. first of all, it's, it's better to do something than nothing. And the judge, through his running club, is trying to do something. Is it the cure? No. But I think it shows that whatever the solution is going to be, it's going to be one that emanates from the bottom up rather than from the top down. And that yeah. if everybody just does a little something figure this out, how to do something in their own way. It doesn't have to be running. It can be anything. Mm-hmm. Just like Gabby yeah. was mentioning, just 
people just need a second chance. Sometimes they'll disappoint. Sometimes they won't. And it's, it's, yeah. it's worth it. It's worth it. And that if we're going to make any progress, whatever the problem is that faces societies, it's, it's usually, the solution is usually going to be found from, from the people. people. Right. From the bottom up. Absolutely. Well, this, this movie is, uh, this documentary was, it's such a human story. It's so inspiring. It, it, it's, it, it's thought-provoking. It's really, it's really wonderful. Congratulations on it. And thank you so much for coming on. And um, I'm thrilled to shine a light on it and spread the word. But thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Michael. Really yeah. a lot of fun to talk to you. Uh, thank you, This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.